back, everybody, to the Unboxing Judaism podcast. My name is Rabbi Ari Wolby. And I am Rabbi Yaakov Nagel. And it is such an honor to be back here. Welcome back from Eretz Yisrael. You were just in Israel. How was your trip, Rabbi Nagel? Eretz Yisrael, it is an amazing place. It's a country, Tovahar, it's Maod Maod. So beautiful. Such a beautiful, beautiful country. For a small-sized country, it is just breathtaking. We went south because it was winter there. And, uh, but it wasn't winter in the South. It was just beautiful weather, beautiful people, high energy. I went to places I don't usually go. I was in Tel Aviv for Shabbos. I'd never been in Tel Aviv. A lot of energy, a lot of energy. And, and the shuls were full as well. It's just an amazing, it was an amazing trip, amazing journey. Recommend it for everybody. Beautiful. So let's start with our first question. We have a question from a listener. His name is Andrew. And he asks the following question. Uh, Rabbi, if you feel uncomfortable with something that's written in the Torah, what should you do? Uh, this particularly came up where there was a, an incident where one of the congregations, uh, the rabbi wasn't comfortable with what's written in the Torah about uh, homosexuality. And he decided to omit the Torah reading of that part of the Torah. So what are your thoughts, Rabbi Nagel? The best uh, approach, I would say, first of all, it's okay to not be comfortable with certain parts of the Torah. In fact, a good friend of mine, he uh, used to date, he was one of those guys who was like a perpetual dater till he got married. It took him a long time. And to weed out, so we had uh, certain discussions that he would sort of test test the waters with, that's kind of, you'll see why. And he would talk about the mitzvah of Nichias Amalek, which is the mitzvah to destroy the nation of Amalek. And he would describe that if he would find an Amaleki child, and what he would do to the child, and how he would kill the child in cold blood, because that's what the Torah commands us to do. And he would see the reaction <laughs> on the prospective date. And of course, they'd be horrified because in our way of thinking, and we're very, very influenced by where we live and by the culture that we live in, people don't realize how influenced we are. It's scary how strong of an influence American culture is on me. Forget about, you know, and I've been spending so many years studying Torah, but it affects every way, the way you see things. And it's hard, right? So, I'm uncomfortable with that. Is it, a, what do I do? So, the answer is that that is where you need work. That's really what it is. That's what the Torah, so the, the base story is, the way I would describe this is that they ask this as a question. There's a famous midrash that when the Torah was uh, before we, Klal Yisrael chose the, to receive the Torah at Har Sinai, God offered it to all the nations of the world. And they all said, okay, very nice, you want to give us this Torah? What is it? What's written in it? And to each nation, God said what they have a particular weakness in. So the nations that are particularly, you know, love, you know, are, are very into a very murderous nation, they said you cannot kill, and they're like, "Oh, we can't do that. That's our that's our life. That's who we are. That's what we're all about." 
And for the people that are promiscuous, that's what it meant. That's what God said. And, uh, and they said, ah, oh, we can't do that. And everyone, people who have theft as their weakness, that's what, that's what they were told. So the question that the commentaries ask, an amazing question is that, yeah, what kind of salesman is God? A terrible salesman. What is he offering and telling them the one thing that they find so hard? Tell them the easy, the beautiful parts of the Torah. Talk about Shabbos. Talk about how wonderful it is. Talk about honoring your parents. They said would have no problem with that. Why did they pick on the one thing that's the weakness? And the answer, which is such an insightful answer, is that the Torah is here for what doesn't fit easily. That's where we need the Torah. If it wouldn't, if it would fit easily, that's where we don't need help in. We're already there. It's where it doesn't fit, where it makes us uncomfortable. That's exactly the area that we need more working. And that's really what God was saying is that what you have a hard time with, that's what the Torah is going to provide for you. And if you're, but you have to work on it, it's going to be hard. It's difficult. So to me, that's really the lesson. If you have a, an area of Torah that you find so difficult and it's like, I'm, I'm uncom- it makes me uncomfortable, that's what you need the Torah for. Torah is given by God. He created the world. He knows everything you know. And it's okay to not be comfortable with things, but realize that the Torah is talking specifically to you at that spot. Don't take that out. You should underline that section because that's where you need work. Anyway, that's my take. Beautiful. Thank you, Rabbi Nagel. So, you know, the perspective that I've always shared in my classes was that, you know, who is the creator of the world? Right? The, Hashem is the manufacturer. He created this world. He knows exactly the nature of every single individual. He knows exactly what each person needs, and he gives each person their tchunas anefesh, their virtues, their flaws, their uh, likings and dislikings. Hashem implants it in us, and like you said, that's the area you need to work on. But I always say, like, between me and God, like, who do you think is right? <laughs> like, who who's right? And obviously, if I don't agree with something that's written in the Torah, I have to look into myself and say, why am I not thinking godly? Why am I not like, thinking the way God thinks? Because the Torah is a very clear outline of Hashem's way of thinking. Hashem is the author of the Torah, and Hashem is the one who decided that this and this is good, and this and this is bad. And if I don't think that that's bad, there's a problem in me. I've got problems. Hashem doesn't have problems. Hashem isn't insensitive. Hashem isn't misunderstanding. Hashem isn't uncultured. It's Hashem's world, for crying out loud. He created this world. He knows exactly what's in it. He knows the, tri- the, the, the trials and tribulations of each individual, of each generation. Hashem created this world. So I think it goes even worse is that if, if there's something that I disagree with in Hashem's Torah, it, it's, it's, not, it's not you're not going to be a lightning bolt is not going to hit you and say, hey, you better believe everything. We have free will, and that's part of the gift that Hashem gave us in the Torah, in the world that we're living in, that we don't have to agree with everything Hashem says. We don't have to understand everything that Hashem says. But Hashem is advising us to observe it because we want to live in a world which is not 
a human world. We want to live in a world that's a godly world. We want to elevate ourselves. And I think that that's the biggest, really the crux of the whole issue here, is whether I'm going to take the heavenly, uh, godly entities of this world and pull it down to me, or am I going to try to take myself and elevate myself to, the, to, to God and to the heavens and to the, and to the, the world of spirituality? So I think it, it's, it's a little bit telling, like, you know, I, well, I don't agree that perhaps uh, someone who steals should have to pay double. Like, why? Well, that's what Hashem says in his Torah. I don't agree. Right. So now, whether or not we agree or not, that's Hashem's. Hashem thought that that was the good idea. Hashem thought that that was the right thing. And it's only a limitation of my knowledge when I disagree. It's me showing my inability to grasp godliness when I disagree. disagree. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with a person saying, I don't understand that's different than saying God is wrong. And I think we have to be very, very careful in our generation where there's a lot of debate, there's a lot of discourse, there's a lot of um, talk, particularly social media. People get very vocal and get very uh, annoyed when there's an opinion that's not like theirs. Hashem is very calm and Hashem is very patient and Hashem is very loving and Hashem is very forgiving. And he doesn't mind if people say, you know, I'm having a hard time understanding this. But I think we have to be very careful before we say that we disagree with God because that could be very problematic. Now, we do see that there were prophets in the history of the, of, of the Jewish people that disagreed with God, but because they didn't understand the full picture. We see Moshe Rabbeinu asked, he says, Hashem, show me your greatness. Show me the way you conduct your world because it doesn't make any sense to me. Is he disagreeing? Is he being disrespectful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I, I think it's more of... There's a difference between a person wanting to inquire about Hashem's opinion versus disrespectfully disagreeing. So that's my two cents on this. Just so have a, another, like a, a, a important insight, which really is what you're touching on. Besides for just there being free will and having a way I see things. It's very important to be real with yourself. In other words, don't if you really don't understand and you have a hard time with something, that's not only is that okay, but you can't be in denial with how you are seeing things. So you have, you have humility. Yeah. You recognize that it's your limitation. Yeah, no, because some, then you're just fooling yourself if you say, well, I just, okay, that's just because you know that's right. You want to also understand why that's right. Why is God's view correct? And why is my view incorrect? And you have, you have to recognize your limitations and realize that this is how I do see it. There's a story, the Gemara talks about how when uh, Yermio, the prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, he couldn't say, when he saw these terrible things happening in the destruction of the first temple. And he just took it out. He excised it. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu said it, but he couldn't say it. He says, I don't see God's greatness here. I don't see his awesomeness over here. And he couldn't say it because he's being honest. He's being real with himself. Even though he knew Moshe said it, but he had to be real. I don't see it. What can I do? I, it's my limitation. It's okay. But that's where you start building yourself up. That's what happened only later on when they people and the men of the great assembly, they said, you know what? That is God's greatness. 
look, we're still here to talk about it. And now we have the second temple. You know something? With the, with the span of time and seeing more of the picture, we get it now. And that's really what it is. That Yes, it's true. A lot of parts of the Torah we have a hard time with. Recognize that and be okay with that. I don't, I do have a hard time with this, but don't shy away from it. Don't excise it. Don't cut it out. God forbid. Embrace that and try to understand it and realize that there's a flaw in the way I'm thinking and that I'm influenced. People have no idea. Like I said before, they don't realize how influenced they are from the way the, the world thinks. This is a very, if we're, brainwashed in this world, in this culture. It's a brainwashing culture to think about things in the way they present it in the news and the way the the media presents things. It influences. To think that it doesn't influence us, of course it does. It's real. And it's a very powerful influence. But if we have the Torah, that's clarity. That's God's view. And if we can try and figure out where we're going wrong and think, contemplate these things that we have difficulty with. That's where, that's our best hope to, to stay sane in this crazy world. You know, the biggest mystery of this world is what is life? What is life all about? What are we here for? What's the purpose? What's the meaning? How do we attain happiness? All of this is addressed in the manual. You open up that manual and it tells you everything that the manufacturer intended with this product so if it's if it's a car you look at the manual and it'll tell you well how to drive it how to maintain it how to enjoy it how to change the tires everything it's all all the instructions are there and that by the way is for every single object even by a, a light bulb it'll tell you exactly how to install that light bulb and how to benefit from it appropriately. Uh, every single, a chair, a table, everything comes with instructions because if the intention is for you to utilize it and to maximize its use, I need to know how to do it. I need to know how to, how to open it, how to close it, et cetera, et cetera. That's what the whole Torah is. So if I'm going to disagree with the manufacturer, I'm just not getting what the manufacturer intended. I'm just not understanding it. And it's my limit. I'm limiting my own ability to maximize the experience. I want to share with you an interesting question that that leads into, which is also a very interesting question. The Torah, the world was created way back with Adam, and we didn't receive the Torah all the way till many, many generations later with Moshe and Harsinai. If we have, if it's the manual for the world, why wouldn't we be given it in the beginning? When you buy something in the store, you get the manual up front. What's the deal with the manual first being given so many generations later? After so many failures of the flood and the, and the other gen- generation of the dispersion? And the answer is, is that it's that we should appreciate the manual. We're, if we were given the manual up front, then well, you know, that happens like everybody's like, yeah, I can figure it out myself. And that's why God held back on the manual. And said, okay, let's see how you figure it out. Terrible floods, people destroying themselves, destroying each other. The generation. 448 <laughs> years till the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. And the point being is, is that until they recognized, that's when they recognized that, you know something, we really could use this manual. And hopefully, they'll, we will appreciate it. 
That's what it's all about. If we would have had it up front in the beginning, it wouldn't be that appreciated until you went through the experience, see how difficult it is without the proper manual. And now you have that Torah to study, to see the world, to give you the view of what the world's all about and the understanding of everything in this world. That's, that's when you can appreciate it. Beautiful. Thank you, Rabbi. On to our next question. The next question is, how can the Torah that was given 3,300 years ago, how can that be relevant today? Uh, the question I always hear is about Shabbos. Rabbi, you know, God gave the Torah to the Jewish people. They weren't cars. We didn't have Teslas. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have radios, televisions, internet. So maybe it's a little bit outdated, and maybe it's it's not relevant today uh, as God intended it to be. Uh, you know, they didn't have elevators either. So many questions that people ask are like, the Torah doesn't write about elevators, so like, what 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 like what does Judaism have to say about things that were invented way after, or discovered way after the Torah was given? And it's fascinating that this question is on the same track of the first question, because the answer is really one and the same. We're dealing with not an individual like you know who cannot anticipate what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, if I wrote something, uh, a manual for, let's say... Um, MySpace. Uh, MySpace, right. And then, MySpace uh, is gone. It was gone. In right, right, right. So how do, I'm telling you how to work this, and it's, it's, you know, I don't know what's going to be in the future. So you're absolutely right in that, that, that it may be outdated. You know, my father was a professor. He taught uh, the language, the computer language basic, for tens of years, 20, 20 years in 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 the university, nobody ever heard of basic. It, that was that that's gone with the TRS eighties, <laughs> the Radio Shack, which is also gone. Okay, this these things don't exist anymore. His whole book that he wrote on, it doesn't exist anymore. All these things don't exist anymore. Yeah, you don't know it's going to be outdated, but that's the difference when it's written by God. God, as the verse tells us, He's the name of God is is Hayahovevi Yeah. He was, he is, and he will be. He's one and the same with the past and the future. There is no new advent that he didn't know about and is not intimately knowledge connected to and understanding and knowing. So, of course, there's no God is very well aware of what will come up and where it will come up. And it takes, again, the wisdom of Torah and the principles that the Torah provides to know how to analyze the circumstance, how it comes up, to make sure that it's uh, that, that we're doing the right thing. But of course, God anticipated that. He was there. He's there in the future. He's there in the past. And that's really the answer. So, you know, it, to me, th- this whole question really doesn't make much sense because, I mean, if you look at the Torah, there's not really anything in the Torah that really gives you clear guidelines. You know, with the Torah... We mentioned many times right here at this table, at this classroom, uh, that the Torah only tells you what to do, but it doesn't tell you how to do. The Torah tells you to have a mezuzah on the door, but it doesn't tell you what a mezuzah is. It says to put on tefillin. Doesn't either. It it, it misses. It, put, it puts out. It leaves out that detail of what are tefillin. You know, it says it says uh, to slaughter an animal. It doesn't say how to slaughter the animal. So, if if we're getting to that point where we're thinking that the Torah isn't relevant, why was it relevant then? Then it wasn't either relevant because we didn't have all the details. 
But what? We know that it was relevant, and it is relevant, because the Torah, you know, we say, Eitz Chaim, it's a living, it's a tree of life. The Torah is like a tree which has its deep roots and has far branches, which covers every area you can possibly imagine in all of wisdom. It is a living Torah. And that Torah was relevant then because part of the written Torah is the explanations that go along with it. What happened in those 40 years from when the Jewish people received the revelation at Mount Sinai till Moshe died at the end of their experience in the desert was Moshe teaching them every day, teaching them Torah, teaching them Torah, teaching them Torah, explaining to them what a mezuzah is, explaining to them what to fill in are and showing them, explaining. The, the Medrash says that there were four times that all of the animals arrived in one location. Number one, when Adam when Adam gave them names, they all came to Adam. They got their name. They got their name tags. You know, this was a lion and this was a... a, a, a a, a zebra, and then they went. The second time was by Noach. By Noach, they all came to the ark, to Noach's ark. The third time, according to the Midrash, is, is a dispute whether it's three or four times. The third time was when in Egypt they had the, the, the plague of the wild animals. All of the animals descended on Egypt and uh, afflicted them. And then the fourth time is when the Jewish people were in in the desert, and Moshe Rabbeinu showed them this is a pig, and this is a rhinoceros, and this is this is kosher, and this is not kosher, and it's etc. etc. Going through each and every animal, so that if if because if I tell you blue, I have to show you what blue is for you to identify what blue is. If someone says uh, that a, a kosher fish is one that has fins and scales, well, if I don't see what fins and scales are, I won't know that fins and scales is that. So Moshe Rabbeinu showed the Jewish people exactly what it means to have split hooves. What does it mean an animal that chews its cud? And he went through every single animal showing them. He was not a zoologist, but he was teaching us the Torah so that we understand and we can teach it for generations and generations all the way till today, 3,300 years later, where we have the direct transmission from rabbi to student. I actually have it right here. The direct transmission from rabbi to student, I have right here, I'm holding in my hand, for those of you who are watching on video, all the way from you, the listener, the torch rabbis, all the way up, generation to generation of rabbi to student, all the way up to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher at Mount Sinai, receiving the Torah from God. So this is, I mean, it all fits on one page. It all It's very small font, but all the, the, the generation of the prophets, the Tanaim, the Amoraim, the Gaonim, the Rishonim, the Acharonim, all the way to us here today. So yes, we have a direct link and we have to understand that that's the, the, the beauty of the Torah is that it's relevant today. Understand, we have to know how to learn Torah. And Torah is not a, a a a science book you just take out of a library. Torah is something that you We have to live it. We have to understand that we have to throw ourselves into delving into what is the wisdom that Hashem wanted to impart to us. What is going on here? And when the Torah tells us something to do, and it, it like I had someone tell me, well, Rabbi, you don't understand. For me, Shabbos, it's about taking a break, right? It's about a vacation, right? For me, vacation is going to the beach with my family, you know, getting into our Corvette or it's our, 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 our um, convertible and driving down to Galveston and spending a day at the beach. That's our idea of a day of rest. 
Is there a problem with that? Well, I, 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 I'm not here to criticize anyone, and I'm not here to. That's not. That's not the our role. That's not our job. But that's not what Hashem had in mind. Because if you look in the Torah, the Torah says very, very clearly about what is permitted and what is prohibited on Shabbos. The fact that I may not understand how to learn that is a limitation that I have, not a limitation that God has given us or that God has 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 put there. There's thousands and thousands of books explaining the laws of Shabbat. Everything is sourced. I think the premise, the, the premise of this whole question is a problem. The premise of the question is based on this flawed philosophy that the rabbis make up rules or that the rabbis have... The rabbis don't make up any rules. The rabbis are not allowed to make up any rules. There's a, a, a very, very clear link. If you look at any page of Talmud, you do the Dafyomi. There's not a single page of Dafyomi that doesn't bring, of the Daf, of the page of the Talmud, that doesn't bring the source in the Torah. Not a single page. Why? Because the rabbis don't have the right to just say something because that's my opinion. Oh, do you have an opinion? Source it. If you can't source it, out. Everything is sourced. And it's not only sourced to a verse in the Torah, it's always verse, it's always sourced to who is the opinion that's behind this. There's no anonymous sources like the New York Times. You have to have a source to who says this. And if it's Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva. And if it's and if it's Rabbi Akiva who says it in the name of someone else, it's also going to be quoted. I, I, I you can make make a calculation of how many books of the Shas are filled with just names. If you took just the names and you compiled them, it would probably be three or four books of Talmud. And and yet we're we're so cautious to always be quoting exactly the source. And the reason is because we are striving for truth. We want the truth. And therefore we're not just going to take an anonymous source. We want to know exactly where Yeshua bin Levi or Yeshua said, the son of Levi, who said in the name of and it goes all the way down to the to the source so that we understand and we reaffirm this every page of Talmud that there's no anonymous sources, there's no rabbis making up rules. Everything needs to be sourced. Just one more point on this, which I think is very crucial. And that is, you know, it's the same, like we've had this discussion in the past. You know what? Try living the Torah as it's stated, according to the way it's explained to you, and you'll find that not only is it very relevant in modern times. It is talking to our times. For instance, you know, people uh, are attached to their technology. And you have a Shabbos where you cut it off. Wait a second, but it didn't talk about smartphones in those days. And I need it. I don't have anything in my head anymore. I don't even have a number in my head anymore. So I don't have directions. I can't get anywhere. What am I going to do? Hey. Shut it off and try it out for Shabbos. Guess what? It is unbelievable. It changes your life. People who experience them for the first time, they said, if only for that, like we say, Dayeno, if only for that, Dayeno, it changes your life. The, it's more relevant to nowadays. We need it even more nowadays. With the craziness of that's going on in this world, we have no idea. But if you try it, you know, you'll see not only is, like I said, not only is it still relevant, it's even more relevant. It's a very difficult world to navigate. It's difficult nowadays. 
And without the light of Torah to show the way how to live life, we would be lost. So that's my advice. Yeah, I mean, uh, our our media is replete with sources, scientific sources that uh, say exactly that point, that people should take a certain amount of time every week turning off their devices and disconnecting. It's healthy for your own mental health. I mean, people get anxiety because they're, they they always have to be responding and they always have to be on and they always have to... 25 hours you unplug on Shabbos. Disconnected from the world. You're just there with your family. You're just there with your friends. Eat good food. Enjoy each other's company. And that's it. Let let go and live. And live. That's it. No. So thank you, everyone. If you have any questions, please... We'd love to hear from you. Unboxing at torchweb.org. Unboxing at torchweb.org. My name is Rabbi Arya Wolby. Thank you so much for joining us. Rabbi Yaakov Nagel, it's always a pleasure, and I love learning with you all.